Good evening church and welcome to Sunday Night Local. I hope you've all had a great week and a restful weekend and I just want to say that it's a real privilege to be here tonight to share with you the next topic in the series of Building the House and that's on the important subject of unity um, and we heard last week from Pastor Steve when he shared about the success of Nehemiah and his people because they were unified and dedicated to the purposes of God. And what I want to do this evening is just unpack a little more on what unity is within the body of Christ and just to encourage each of us as brothers and sisters to walk in unity. But before we do that, let's pray together. Lord God, we just love you and we love your word and we thank you for this opportunity to come together and know more about your heart for us, Lord God. And I pray that each heart is prepared to receive your message, Lord, that you can work in and through us, Father, for your glory. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to start by looking at the dictionary definition of what unity is. And it says that it's the state of forming a complete and harmonious whole. Now, when the scriptures talk about unity, it's very specific on what that should look like within the body of Christ. And so what I want us to do is now turn our Bibles to John 17, 20 and read what Jesus says about the importance of unity. And this evening I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. And it says, I ask not only for these disciples, but also for those who will one day believe in me through their message. I pray for them all to be joined together as one. Even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one. I pray for them to become one with us so that the world will recognise that you sent me. For the very glory you have given me, I have given to them. So they will be joined together as one and experience the same unity that we enjoy. You live fully in me and I now live fully in them. So they will experience perfect unity. And the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. And there's some really important things that we can draw from that prayer that Jesus prayed. But firstly, to put it into context, he prayed this the day before he was betrayed and arrested before going to the cross. And um, he had drawn his disciples together and he prayed this prayer over them and that's because he wanted them to understand the importance of unity within the body of Christ. But it wasn't just for the disciples of the day that were with him. He wanted this to be communicated to future believers, you and I. And it's just another example within scripture that God was thinking about us before we were even born. Secondly, this prayer tells us that it's not just about being in unity with one another, it's about being in unity with God as well. And we have the perfect example of what godly unity looks like through the Trinity, because we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're completely three different people, but also completely one as well. And finally, through this prayer, we learn that because of the godly unity that we have, we will be a witness to the world of the love of God and, of course, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
So what I want to do now is just dig a little deeper on what unity is and what it isn't within the body of Christ. So firstly, worldly unity and kingdom unity are not the same. Um, unity can absolutely be a positive thing. That's what we're talking about it from um, kingdom unity and body of Christ unity is a very positive thing. But we also know that unity can be used in a very destructive way. Um, and we don't need to look too far back into history to draw out examples of unified groups of people who did atrocities against others. Um, they may have been unified in how they felt and what they thought and what they did, but it didn't mean that what they did was right or that it was based on any truth. And through the Bible, we've got the example of the Tower of Babel. You had a unified people, but they, what they were doing in the being unified was actually blasphemy against God. And so he confused their communication by making them speak in different languages so they didn't understand each other. And even today, there's many examples of unity of thoughts and behaviours that God would never endorse because they're not based on his truth, not based on his word. You know, for us today, our generation and for younger generations, um, we are we're constantly being bombarded with information. It's a world full of lies and we often in the natural would not be able to know what's, what's fact and what is fiction. And that's why it's so important that we know what God's word says and, and that we have the guidance of the Holy Spirit to discern between what is truth and what is lies. And an important point to draw from that is that Godly unity can never be separated from the truth. It's God's truth and God's truth is the only actual truth. And although it can be disappointing to hear, just because we have very passionate opinions on certain subjects doesn't mean that they are the truth. And as God's children, we should be really dedicated to knowing what God's truth is and realise that it will never conflict with what his word says. Another big misconception of what unity is, is that it's just about getting along with each other, never rocking the boat. Um, if I asked three different people what their perception of unity was, what their definition of unity was, they would likely come up with different examples in the same way that if I asked people what their definition of love was, they may come up with different examples. But... God's word is very clear on what love is and what it isn't and also what unity is. For example, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the body of Christ, we should be prepared to not just challenge others with behaviours that don't align with, with God's word, but also um, be prepared to be challenged when our behaviour or our words don't line up with the word of God. And trust and accountability are really key to this because when we know that we're being challenged in love, we won't be easily offended. We'll know that it's because we are loved that we're being challenged in love because we are cared about and that it's also not just for our good, but for the good of the kingdom. Next, a really important point. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that we all have to look and sound and be exactly the same. God loves diversity and that's why he's made us 
very different, but what he's doing is calling us in our individuality to form one body, and that is the body of Christ. So what we're going to do now is read from 1 Corinthians 12, 17. Again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Just as the human body is one, though it has many parts, they form together one body. So too is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all immersed and mingled into one single body. And no matter our status, whether we are Jews or non-Jews, oppressed or free, we are all privileged to drink deeply of the same Holy Spirit. In fact, the human body is not one single part, but rather many parts mingled into one. So if the foot were to say, since I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's forgetting that it's still a vital part of the body. And if the ear were to say, since I'm not an eye, I'm really not a part of the body, it's forgetting that it's still an important part of the body. Think of it this way. If the whole body were just an eyeball, how could it hear sounds? And if the whole body were just an ear, how could it smell fragrances? But God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. A diversity is required, for if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many different parts and functions, but one body. And God is clear within this scripture that it's not about competing for importance within the body because every part should realise that it is valued. And what I want to do now is just read on verses 21 to 25. Where it says, it would be wrong for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you. And equally wrong if the head said to the foot, I don't need you. In fact, the weaker our parts the more vital and essential they are. The body parts we think are less honourable, we treat with greater respect. And the body parts that need to be covered in public, we treat with propriety and clothe them. But some of our body parts don't require much attention. Instead, God has mingled the body parts together, giving greater honour to the lesser members who lack it. He has done this intentionally so that every member would look after the others with mutual concern and so that there'll be no division in the body. In that way, whatever happens to one member happens to all. If one suffers, everyone suffers. If one is honoured, everyone rejoices. And this scripture really reinforces the point earlier about building one another up in love. It says in Hebrews 12 that we are running a race and we're in this race together and we want everyone to be running it well. It's not just about being concerned about how well we're running a race, but also seeing how well our brothers and sisters are running too. Checking that they're not getting distracted by what's going on at the sidelines where the enemy will be to discourage them, but helping them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus and running the race well. We should be each other's greatest supporters and encouragers. And we even see in the battle that the great leader Moses needed to draw on the strength of others. When his arms grew weary, he needed the strength of Aaron and her to lift his arms up. 
You know, God never intended us to do this, this life in isolation. And accountability is really key. We need iron sharpens iron relationships. Um, we can be strengthened by others and vice versa. So if we recognise that there is an area that we need to get stronger in, then we, we become accountable to someone who is strong in that area. And equally, we should be available to help strengthen others where they are struggling. You know, we should be celebrating one another because we are one family. Now, God's really asking us to be interdependent with him and with each other and to just really persevere in this race together, fulfil our callings individually and collectively, because it should all be for the glory of God. Now, we really are called as the body of Christ to be more than just a group of people that get on well together, because if that was the case, we might as well just be a social group. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We may be different people, but we have a common purpose. We have a common goal. We are pursuing the same vision and it's based on the same truth. And it's the same kind of analogy you can get when you look at team sports, say football. You may have different um, players playing different positions, but they're all focused on achieving the same mission and that is to store to score goals and to win and it's the same within the body of Christ we may have very different callings on our lives and different positions and roles that we that we are trusted with but we all have one mission and that is the great commission so what is the great commission well Jesus tells us what it is in Matthew 28 18-20 and again, I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. And it says, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to faithfully follow all that I've commanded you. Now, in the original text, the word commission actually means command. So it's like the great command. It's not the great suggestion of what we should be doing. It's we've we've been very clearly given what our purpose is, what our calling is. And you just can just picture what God can do with a body of Christ that's just so interlinked with him and each other, completely working in unity, focused on the same goal. We literally would be unstoppable in our mission of the Great Commission. Now, I saw a good analogy. Um, I was reading a blog the other day and it gave the analogy of an orchestra where you have them at the beginning, they're all seated together and they all start tuning their instruments. And it's a sound that really clashes against each other. But when the conductor raises his baton or his hand, then we see that the every member of the orchestra fixes their eyes on the conductor and they submit themselves to his leadership. And then the conductor just starts leading them through the music and it's just a beautiful harmony of many individual instruments and sounds, but it's completely in step. And in this analogy, Jesus would be the conductor because he is the head of the body. Um, and just in the same way with that perfect unity of sound, where every musician is actually not just thinking about their individual part, but they're thinking of the bigger picture, the bigger piece of music. They're not fighting for 
individual success, but they're looking for collective success. And it's the same within the kingdom. Um, we put aside our personal goals when they collide with what the kingdom goals are. And it's not about striving for individual praise of man, but seeking to glorify God and dedicating ourselves to his purposes. Now, in the prayer that Jesus spoke that we read at the beginning in John 17, it says that through our unity, our godly unity, we will be a witness to the world. You know, our unity is a key component component in fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, earlier in John 17, 12, it, it tells us that we are not of this world. We are in the world, but we're not of this world. And because of this, because of our godly unity, we should be responding differently to what's going on in the world. Um, we should be standing out. Um, the world today is just so divided on a number of subjects and but actually that has been the case since sin entered into the world. Um, and obviously the enemy, he loves division, um, but he loves seeing division within the body of Christ even more. Um, you know, he has a, um, he has a plan and it is not a secret plan. We, we know what it is. It says that he comes to steal, kill, destroy, tear down and divide. Um, his master plan has been published. Um, we know exactly what we're up against. And so we shouldn't be falling into his trap. Now, as a child, I really couldn't stand watching cartoons like The Roadrunner or Tom and Jerry, because I used to find it so frustrating that although there'd be different backgrounds or scenes, this storyline was basically the same. It was that Tom was trying to set up a trap and he thought Jerry would fall for it. But Jerry always manages to come out winning in the end and it's Tom who's the one who gets hurt and I'm not suggesting that we play a similar game with the devil um we're not playing a game of cat and mouse Satan's not worth our attention but what we should be is proactive and we are proactive in how we guard against the assaults of the enemy um whether it be on our family on our relationships our identity in Christ the unity within the body of Christ and we do this through renewing our minds submitting ourselves yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit and um, guarding our hearts being diligent in prayer and being in God's word and in his presence and we should be doing this individually and we should be doing it corporately as well so finally what is it to be a witness to the world in our godly unity and what will enable this well firstly we need to know the truth of who god is and what jesus did for us and we need to be led by the holy spirit and we can do this by knowing the world word spending time in god's word being obedient to his word spending time in god's presence and in prayer we should be cultivating a relationship with the holy spirit and know his voice so well and that he can guide us through discerning what is truth and what is lies and of course we should be pursuing a a lifestyle of spirit life spirit-led worship and just be transformed into a true disciple of jesus christ we should know what our individual and collective identity in christ is and the authority that comes with that and um, we must posture ourselves as those people those righteous people who know that they belong to god 
and through knowing what our identity is, our value and our purpose, we won't be compromised by the lies of the enemy, which are designed to disarm us and distract us and divide us. We shouldn't be influenced by the world and its distractions. And I think we can all um, challenge ourselves on this by thinking about how much of our time do we allow ourselves to be influenced by the world, whether it be what's on TV, what we're reading in the media or watching in the media, how much time we are influenced by social media and other people's opinions. You know, how much time do we really spend seeking what God's heart is on the things that others and ourselves have passionate opinions on? And how much do we allow the Holy Spirit to operate in our everyday? How often do we allow him to move in every area of our lives? You know, I think it's a really important challenge for us um, individually. And, and I just encourage everyone to spend some time in prayer on that. You know, we should be mission focused. You know, if we're focused on the mission, then we really don't have the time or inclination to get drawn into the disunity and the diversions that the world offers um, because these actually when that happens they can actually cause disunity within the body of Christ and finally we should be proactive in promoting and protecting the unity within the body for example we shouldn't be engaging in behaviours that are divisive like gossiping or petty arguments we shouldn't be looking to get easily offended and we also shouldn't be looking to be causes of offence either and finally like the scripture says our godly unity and our love for others will set us apart and draw the attention of the lost and the seeking so before we finish this evening let's just do a quick roundup of some of the key points that we have learned together this evening from god's word Firstly, the body of Christ, to operate effectively, it must be unified, not just with one another, as in the other members of the body, but with Christ, who is the head of the body. Secondly, godly unity within the body of Christ will be a witness to the world about the love of God and the truth of Christ. And thirdly, for perfect harmony amongst the members, each part must know its value of their role and the role of others within the body. We may be different, we may have different functions, but we're all part of the same body and Jesus is the head of that body. And finally, we have a purpose as that unified body, unified body of Christ to complete the command of the Great Commission. You know, let's really be dedicated to running this race well together, fighting the good fight and just seeing the lost saved. You know, our unity really will be a witness to the world. So we've come to the end of this evening. Um, thank you um, for spending time um, this evening, just engaging in the word. And I hope it's encouraged you as much as it's encouraged me. And don't forget to tune in next week for Sunday Night Local and I just pray that you'll have a great week ahead and stay blessed.